The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I continue to try to get at the heart of what this gospel is all about. I'm having a hard time because I come from an institutional perspective. I've been a churchman all my life. It hasn't brought to my heart what I most desire. I've had to leave behind that institutional perspective that it's about following these special outlined activities, the church calendar. No, I've had to leave all of that because my heart was not satisfied. I want more. My heart is crying out for more. More of Jesus. And I don't find him in in any of the institutional formats that are so common today in the church. It's just a few hours a day or so, until Jesus is crucified. And where do we find him? Well, we find him in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. He's reclining at the at the table. He's enjoying a, a meal with people he loves. They're meeting in the home of Simon the leper. Simon was a Pharisee, and he had leprosy. And Jesus healed him. And a bridge was built. And now he's hosting a meal for the friends of Jesus. Now, as they're reclining at the table and And Simon the leper has provided a wonderful place. Martha probably was the one who who hosted this feast. It says a woman came with an alabaster jar 
a very expensive perfume. It was made of pure nard. She broke the seal of this stone jar and began to pour the perfume out on Jesus' head, on his feet, anointing him. Surely Jesus had told them all that he was going to be crucified. And that broke Mary's heart. She didn't know how to relate to it. All she could do is say, what is the most precious thing I have? What is the most valuable thing that I have? I am going to pour that out on Jesus. Her relationship with Jesus was not institutional. It was an intense love for Jesus. Personal, intimate, a total giving over of her heart to this to this man who had saved her from her sin, had washed her and made her clean. She'd never met a man like Jesus. I don't know how she managed to buy this very expensive gift. It would cost a year's worth of work to earn enough money to buy this alabaster jar. It was probably her most treasured possession. But right in the midst of this, turning her heart totally to Jesus and giving him the most precious gift she can give him, weeping over him, wiping his feet with her hair, every possible expression of love. And as it happens so many times, the devil tries to cut in on on Martha to cut her down, to condemn her So often that's the case. Where we try to open our heart and and give the most precious gift we have to Jesus. And you know what our most precious gift is, don't you? Our love. Our unashamed before the world giving to Jesus our heart that he's the one we love. Now, as the wafting of this incredible perfume filled the air, I don't know if she thought ahead about that, Probably not. All she knew is that it was her most precious and valuable gift, and she wanted to give it to Jesus. This was not institutional. This was very personal. 
It was her heart. And these words cut into her like a knife. Why this waste of the perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. It wasn't just Judas. It was also others of the disciples who rebuked Martha sharply. And by God's grace, Jesus stepped in and he said to her and to all of them, leave her alone. It was a voice of command. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This is, this is intimacy between Jesus and Martha. She knew that he would soon die on the cross. And she stepped in and said, I'm not going to just let this party go on as though Jesus would always be here. No, he won't be here. We're losing Jesus. Let's pour out our love for him. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Why? Because she has identified the very heart of what the gospel of Jesus is about. It's about intimacy. It's about love. It's about hope. It's about caring enough for one another to even embarrass ourselves by giving our very best to Jesus. What have you given to Jesus? Do you love him? Straight up. Hey, come on, straight up. Do you love Jesus? If you do, what have you given to him? What have you given to Jesus to let Jesus know that you love him with all of your heart? Do you love Jesus? It's a very simple question. It cannot be answered with an institutional answer. Oh, yes, I love Jesus. I I go to church. I pay my tithe. I do these duties. Jesus will not accept that as love from, from your heart. 
that's what you that's what you do because you're an institutional Christian. That's not coming from a heart of dedication. It's not your best. It's what you're supposed to do. That's not what she did. She did not give what she was supposed to give. She gave what she was not supposed to give. She was not supposed to embarrass everybody at this party by making this dramatic gesture of love and compassion and earnest desire for Jesus. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. That was his response. This has gone far enough. I'm stopping it. I'm betraying this man. They will crucify him. And of course, the chief priests were delighted to hear this from an inside person. And they said, look, we'll give you money. So he watched for an opportunity to to hand Jesus over. Shortly he found that opportunity. He knew that they were going from the Passover meal to the Mount of Olives because he knew the place Jesus always went to pray. And he betrayed Jesus. What a rotten act of disloyalty to him. Is it any wonder Judas went out and hung himself and committed suicide? This was a desperate act of a desperate man who only knew institutional religion. And he tried to gain a place. And he lost everything. And this tragic suicide began with his Criticizing this wonderful woman, Martha, who came with such passion and love for Jesus. No, no. Martha, you're supposed to just shut up. You're supposed to just sit there. You're not supposed to be overly emotional about Jesus. I mean, don't come to Jesus with a gift that's going to embarrass all the rest of us. But she did. And Jesus was so appreciative. It encouraged his heart to go through with the crucifixion. Do you love Jesus? What have you done to encourage Jesus' heart? Oh, I haven't seen him. I can't talk to him. 
Well, that brings us to a parable that's been very troublesome to me all of my life. I've not understood what Jesus was saying. This didn't match what I understood as an institutional Christian. It's found just before this event took place. I mean, I want you to understand these events that I'm describing for you, they are real events in time and space and history, and they tell us about Jesus. Chapter 25, the book of Matthew. talk about it. It'll be uncomfortable, but you don't mind, do you? Then come close to me and listen carefully. I'll try to share with you the very heart of Jesus. Jesus is preparing himself for the Last Supper with the disciples. He knows that there's a plot against him to murder him. He knows that he has a dinner appointment at Bethany with Simon the leper and those who are close to him. He's emotionally coming up to the point where he can deal with this horrendous crucifixion. This was not easy. In the garden, he's going to weep blood. That's what Luke tells us. This is very, very emotional stuff. Don't think you can come to Jesus and be cut and dried. Don't think you can come to Jesus and be institutional. I left the institutional church because I couldn't stand it anymore. I hope you can't stand it anymore either. I want something deep and real between Jesus and myself. And you know what? That's happening to me. I know Jesus is coming again. And I know he's coming very soon. And I know he's going to separate the goats and the sheep on that great day. We need to talk about that. 
when Jesus comes in his glory and all of his angels are with him, the scriptures tell us he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Question. What will be the basis of his judgment as he looks at the peoples and nations? How will he decide between one and another? Who's going to come and who's going to be left behind? Well, that's what he tells us. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is Matthew 25, verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance in the kingdom. It's prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come to the, come to the feast. I'm sure in his mind he's remembering the feast that was provided by probably Martha when Mary came and anointed him. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothing. And you took off your clothes and gave them to me. I was sick. And you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Now listen to this reply. Today I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. They don't know that they were doing that for Jesus, but why were they doing it? I ask someone the question, a very serious Christian. I ask them, do you love Jesus? And their answer was quite surprising to me, showing a a depth of maturity. They said, yes, I love Jesus. How do you know? 
because I gave myself to him to serve other people. To serve the ones he loves. In other words, I was not an NGO. I was not an aid worker. Just as the natural part of my life's flow, I have cared for God's children. I have sacrificed myself with joy to take care of God's children. I immediately thought of a of a woman. She doesn't want to take care of anybody. She doesn't want to do anything for anybody. It's all about her and her life. What she doesn't know is that none of that will count before Jesus. That's an institutional love when you just care for somebody because that's what you're supposed to do. This person doesn't even do that. They're not interested in caring for anybody for any reason. They care for themselves. Their whole concern is their money, their way of life, their enjoyment. It's about them. But they don't understand. is loving Jesus Christ will create the natural outflow in their life. It will create the natural outflow in their life of being kind and generous to the ones called by Jesus as his children. Now, some of them may not know it yet, I have I've given money to people not because they're Christian in an institutional way but because their heart is full of love and compassion for people who are less less successful than they are for people who are having a hard time. They need a lift up. Because Jesus told me they were one of his. See, I don't look at people in terms of, do they come to church? Do they give their tithes and offerings? Do they testify that Jesus is Lord? Do they do they love Jesus? No, all of that can be cold institutionalism. Whatever you've done for the least of these, my brothers, you've done for me. You've cared for me. See, this is what the church should look like, not with a Dorcas program, not with a a feeding program for the for the homeless. 
This is for real love. Family love. Caring for another person because they're a person that Jesus wants to make his own. Lord, when did we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters or of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. Or, Leave them alone. <laughs> leave them alone. You who are cursed, depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you never gave me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothing. You didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison. You didn't look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothing or sick in a prison and we did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You notice Jesus did not give in this parable of the sheep and the goats any indication that entrance into the kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to be based on a correct theological understanding. That is not the basis on which Jesus will judge you or me. We are going to be judged by what our heart is, by whether we love Jesus. And so subsequently, because we love Jesus, We've given ourselves to him, and our love is being poured out from our heart to those who need our love, who need the love of Jesus. I've never heard this. I've always heard that you have to say this little sinner's prayer, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and, and if you've done all of that, then you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. No, you're not. Are you kidding me? You're not on your way to heaven because you go to a church. You're not on your way to heaven because you give your tithes and offerings. 
Jesus has very clearly set the standard by which a man or a woman will be brought into the kingdom of God, and that is that they have a heart that gives. It's the old parable that you've heard, I'm sure, and I know I have many times. What's the difference between the people who are cast into hell and the people who are brought into heaven? Well, is the way this parable goes, and there is some measure of truth in it. Is it the people who are cast into hell are the people who have frozen elbows? They can't bend their arm. And they try as best they can to feed themselves. But they starve to death. Well, heaven, same, looks the same. But there, people can bend their arms. They're feeding everybody. They're taking care of everyone. Well, how do we talk about this? How do we deal with this? One person I know they will do the lowliest task to help another person. They'll wash them, they'll dress them, they'll clean their house, all without this person asking. While another person won't clean anything, It's beneath them. They would not consider clothing another person or feeding another person. That would be embarrassing to them. What is your heart? Are you an institutional Christian? but you're not a true follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that they only took care of people when the church had a program. It's out of the natural flow of love they have for Jesus Christ. And because they can't see Jesus, That love flows out to his servants, to his people, who are not identified institutionally necessarily as his people, but simply as those in need. And their heart is poured out for them. Performing every kind of 
of chore. Changing their diapers. Washing them. Caring for them physically. Feeding them. Clothing them. No pride. No arrogance. No pride. No arrogance. No haughtiness. No withholding. As I read the story of the scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we come to the Last Supper, what does Jesus do? He takes off his outer robe. They're all reclining, ready to eat. Jesus picks up a basin, fills it with water, puts a towel around his waist, and begins going from one disciple to the next, washing their feet. Smelly, dirty feet from the trail. That's the heart of Jesus. Would you have done that? Or would you have sat stone still, saying somebody else ought to be doing that? There should be a servant here who could take care of our feet. No. Jesus said, now that I've done this for you, do this for each other also. Care for one another. This is outside the realm of the institutional church. Do you understand? I have preached on this in a large church. And then I've sent the women to one portion of the church and the men to another and invited them to wash one another's feet. Some of the women refused to take off their hose. They said, no, wash my feet with my hose on. What? One man said to me, Pastor, you're asking me to wash somebody's feet. I'm not going to touch anybody else's feet. They're filthy dirty. I said, come here, brother. I sat him in a chair and I took his shoes off and I washed his feet. He was very embarrassed. He sat there red-faced. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? Have I, have I been adequately explaining this love for Jesus that goes so far beyond any institutionalism? I don't want to be a church, a part of a church that's institutional. I want to be a part of a church that's a family where we love one another, where we love people outside of the church where the whole church is there to go do what they can do to love and care and clothe and feed the poor or anyone who needs it. 
Oh, my brother, my sister, we've missed the gospel. We've made it an intellectual exercise, and it is not. The church is a family, the family of God. We don't treat each other as strangers. We don't treat each other as unclean. If the church would begin to truly love as Jesus loved, the doors would be broken open. People would be so eager to get in. How's your heart? Have you tried to be an institutional Christian? Or are you a family member? I come as a family member asking you to help me cover the cost of this radio. And some of you eagerly step up and you give way beyond what you should give. But some of you are strangers. Even though I've been gentle with you, I've been straight with you, I've been honest with you. But it's just another, it's just another program. I'm not family with me. Yes, you are. You're my family. You're my family. And I love you. And Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Lord, I bring my family to you today. Think of Michael. And I can just go on naming, naming, naming. And I treasure every one of these precious brothers and sisters. I thank you that they're willing to move away from the institutional church. And they're willing to humble their hearts and wash one another's feet. To serve one another. And to serve those who don't even know that they're being called to be a family member with them. Lord, would you cause our hearts to overflow with love for you? And out of that love for you, our hearts overflow with love for each other. We drop the fences, the walls, the judgments, and just love one another. Lord, thank you. Lord, we've hurt each other. Forgive me for hurting any brother or sister. And I have hurt brothers and sisters, and I repent. I won't do it again. Lord, I'm praying that something new is being birthed today in the hearts of your people as they listen to this message. Don't let them be cynical and hard and 
and reserved and distant. Bring them directly into your fold and minister to their brokenness. Lord, there are some today who are who are listening and a, a flicker of hope is in their heart. Is this possible to love one another? Some are homebound. Some are sick. Some are broken, as I am. Lord, would you awaken our hearts? Would you remove laziness from our hearts, self-centeredness, pride, arrogance, Lord, these things block the church. Would you come and minister to us, Jesus? And so fill our hearts with love and passion for you that that'll just spill out all over the place, even if it makes things messy. I'm sure Martha made everything messy at the party. But I wonder, when you were on the cross, if you thought about her. I wonder if you lifted your heart to the Father and said, thank you for sending her. Lord, we need we need you. And we need each other. And I pray for your mercy to overflow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you're welcome to write to me. I'd love to hear from you. Write to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box. 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 Again, write to me at National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 You're also welcome to come and be a part of our worship service on Sunday. My address is Pastor Ray Greenley, 5009 Softwood, one word, Softwood Lane, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. That's for our house church. If you're not a part of a intimate group, that's all about Jesus, then you're welcome to come. Now, if the Lord has moved in your heart to give an offering or tithes, please do that. You can go online, nationalprayerchapel.com, 
That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Or send it to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I pray that this has been a, a helpful message to you today. I pray that your heart is totally given over to Jesus. And out of that giving over totally to Jesus, that you'll reach out to your brothers and sisters, to those who need your help. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.